This is podcast 365, entitled The Whole Loaf, and you've just heard, I'm sure you immediately clicked, Loaf Straightjackets, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, that was an excerpt, and the um, point of the cast is to underline a little bit of reading that I found in England last week, but it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, and it kind of catalyzed some um, initiatives that Mockingbird in particular, and um, a desire to really reach and um, connect with popular culture, has prompted in me for years and sort of came abundantly, powerfully, explicitly explosive in something that I read. Now, we were in England to visit with our son Simeon and Bonnie and their family, and uh, in particular, officially speaking, to celebrate with others the 50th wedding anniversary of a couple we love dearly and we've known since almost the day Mary and I were married, but in England, and he has served and his wife has served in the Church of England for years and years and years with abundant and marked, totally sincere faithfulness. And um, the morning of our departure from Henley-on-Thames, the site of the regatta, I saw a little sign that led me to, uh, I think it was called the Ferret, F-E-R-R-E-T, but there was a hidden bookstore behind a pub that was also hidden because it was in a side street, and it was open, thankfully, on the morning, and I slipped in, and this very classically bit of an odd duck um, older lady was running the shop, but it had some gems in it, not as many gems as the open-air book market in Cambridge really does regularly possess, but it had some gems, and in it I found a beautiful volume of Charles Dickens' Christmas stories, but the shorter ones. Now, you remember that the, the most famous one that we all love and adore, and it truly is a work of spiritual enlightenment and genius, is uh, A Christmas Carol, the Scrooge story. And then there's uh, one called The Chimes. It's brilliant and powerful. And there's one called The Haunted Man, which is unbelievable. And um, years ago on Christmas Eve, I preached on the... Um, uh, the very dark but ultimately extremely revelatory uh, Christmas metaphor of a long story by Dickens called The Haunted Man. And it kind of, it had gone over my head to begin with, and it wasn't really apt. It was a little too much effort was involved with our midnight congregation with Wassel. <laughs> it was a little too much effort involved uh, for the people to follow that sermon. It was not a success, and Robin Anderson was very, very kind about it. But, um, he also wrote another one, Not the Battle of Life, it's something like that, of a Christmas nature, and the cricket on the hearth, etc., the holly and the ivy. But he also wrote about 25, maybe more, annual short, short stories. And I happened to find a beautiful leather-bound and very reasonable edition of it that the gal um, was proud to sell me of his shorter stories. And... Um, one of them is called What Christmas Is As We Grow Older. Do read that. The Child's Story, which is unbelievable. It, um, it really uh, anticipates um, the teaching of the modern contemplative prayer movement, Thomas Keating, in its 
parallel of the true self, or the soul sent from God and going to God, and the false self. That is to say, the different stages of human experience. The child's story, it's Thomas Keating, just a hundred years earlier. And the schoolboy story is great. And I've just also read The Seven Poor Travelers, which I'd read before, but is unbelievably graceful. And um, what I encountered there... <coughs> I was sort of face-to-face with the whole loaf. In other words, these stories of Charles Dickens, these Christmas stories, just about everyone is pure Christian enacted history. Metaphor, maybe, but enacted grace and mercy in broken and disadvantaged and hurt and at times repulsive and wicked human lives that are redeemed through the power of the Bethlehem babe. And the uh, Christianity of them is so explicit, while at the same time not being uh, sermonic. I mean, it catches up on you. It, it doesn't... Uh, it, really doesn't hit you over the head. Some people would say it's sentimental, but they wouldn't say that it's, um, you know, like reading, uh, you know, the telling you what to do or hitting you over the head. There's no law. It's just there. But what is surprising about it, it's not implicit. You know, so many, so for so many years, I just sort of reviewed everything I heard, everything I read, everything I saw, everything I viewed, everything I watched, everything I listened to in the sort of, I would say the 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 screen is the wrong word of the filter, but I was always looking for traces of the Christian view of God's grace and mercy, the one-way love. I was always looking for it because it had meant so much to me. It was the reason I was drawn to the Christian faith in its New Testament essence from an early, early age. And I would therefore review uh, Dennis Yost and the Classics 4, um, Expressway Number 9, <laughs> uh, songs of uh, the 60s, obviously. Obviously, George Harrison, but you name Louie Louie. I mean, I would just everything I was looking for. This is later. Initially, I just loved them as songs. And fortunately, I had such a love as an early childhood person of monster movies and 50s um, Hollywood uh, um, creature features and was so immersed from the time I was eight or nine years old, really eight in sci-fi fantasy and especially universal horror films, that that kind of uh, took the seriousness out of everything, which is good. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't suffer from didacticism because I, I so much liked this stuff. Um, but nevertheless, there came a time when I was interested to note parallels and common ground and features of likeness in the graceful interactions you would find in people. And so I would look at a Tennessee Williams or a John Ford, although John Ford was a distinctly Christian worldview and person. Or you just go right down the list, D.W. Griffith or Roger Corman or you, uh, Bert I. Gordon. I mean, I, I went too far. Like I said, Dennis Yost and the Classics Four, you, you name it. Um, and that's not the whole loaf. I mean, in a way, you kind of get desperate. You're sort of you're trying a little too hard to find elements of common ground. And everything you read, a lot of things have something of that because they came out of a tradition that was soaked in the Christian beneficence of the one-way love of God in Christ. But... Um, you, you, you often were straining a little bit. I'm speaking purely of myself. And then um, I, I'd grown up with Dickens, but I hadn't really grown up with Victor Hugo. And um, 
I found in Victor Hugo, although he was very anti-clerical, I found the whole loaf. There's no question that Les Miserables is the whole loaf of the Christian faith, the Jean Valjean character and the bishop at the beginning and the results of the grace that is acted upon on the part of the bishop to Jean Valjean, the released criminal, to the rest of his fruitful life and his children and his family. That is pure Christianity in uh, Victor Hugo. And then I read 93, and there were strong elements of it there, and there were strong elements in Toilers of the Sea, and there were strong elements <coughs> of it in the poetry. And uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame maybe a little less because he's so darn anti-ecclesiastical, though I understand that and sympathize with it, having been in the institution for so many years. But nevertheless, I found in Les Miserables and Les Mis um, true Christianity, tr true, uh, true Christianity. And then um, Tolstoy had always bored me a little bit because War and Peace is so prodigious, but it's brilliant. Until I started reading things again and I encountered Resurrection, the last novel by Leo Tolstoy, which is pure Christianity. It deals with communism and anarchism and czarism and all the problems of, of political life, but more importantly deals with a man who has something terribly unknown but real upon un unconscious upon his conscience uh, and his way of dealing with it which is utterly new testament with a little tiny bit of kind of uh, shinran buddhism thrown in a little bit of the sort of deistic buddhism thrown in near the end but that's good that's a good thing and so you have a pure the whole loaf there but then i look at other things and it was only half a loaf you know i would I would just go through all these things, uh, looking, looking, and pouncing when I saw it, and I could use it, and it was often coming from somewhere. But to find the whole loaf is very special. So when I just was instantly attracted a week ago to this book on the shelves of this very good, small, but very good bookstore, I think near some place called The Ferret, that would really attract a lot of people, um, I began to read these stories again, and I was overcome by the power of the Christian um, dynamic of the love of God for sinners. I'll just read one paragraph, which is um, classic, but it's one of many. And this is a paragraph um, right uh, near the end, at the end of a short story, which actually you may have read. This is the one short story here that I had read before called The Seven Poor Travelers, like 1853, something like that, and I won't go into the story of it, but at the end of this remarkable turning of grace by which a man who is really a desperate, tragic, suicidal character as a young man who's done something that he regrets so much that he wants to die, and he is saved. He's saved through a variety of circumstances in the army, in the British army, and then he other things happen, and it's a remarkable picture of uh, Saved by Grace, uh, and it's real, it's sentimental, but I don't, it's his heart, that's another way of, you know, you criticize it, you'd say it was sentimental, but if you liked it, like me, you'd say it's just full of heart, and that it has. And at the end, the key character who's been ultimately totally redeemed and is now a giver, if there ever was one, just uh, reflects as he walks through the woods on the way uh, from where the main action has taken place. And I'll just read a little bit of it. This is typical of Dickens. It's not untypical. It's not an exception. <clears throat> Everywhere as I left Rochester through the wood, I felt as if all nature shared in the joy of the great birthday, capital B. Going through the woods, the softness of my tread upon the mossy ground and among the brown leaves enhanced the Christmas sacredness by which I felt now surrounded. As the whitened stems environed me, I thought how the founder of the time had never raised his benignant hand save to bless and heal. 
By Cobham Hall I came to the village and the churchyard where the dead had been quietly buried, quote, in the sure and certain hope, end of quote, which Christmas time inspires. What children could I see at play and not be loving of, recalling who had loved them? No garden that I passed was out of unison with the day, for I remembered that the tomb was in a garden and that, quote, she, supposing him to be the gardener, end of quote, had said, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. End of quote. In time, a distant river with the ships came full in view, and with it, pictures of the poor fishermen mending their nets, who arose and followed him. Of the teaching of the people, from a ship pushed off a little way from shore by reason of the multitude, and of a majestic figure walking on the water in the loneliness of night, my very shadow on the ground was eloquent of Christmas, for did not the people lay there sick where the mere shadow of the men who had heard and seen him might fall as they passed along? Thus Christmas begirt me far and near. That is the second to last paragraph in the Seven Poor Travelers by Charles Dickens. And it, it becomes explicit. I think the point I'm trying to bring is the difference between implicit Christianity, which is very real and a great deal of it, and at times it's necessary to be so, and explicit Christianity. I um, noticed that a church that I, not a church that I go to, but a church that I know quite well where I live, um, is making a big thing uh, this coming Saturday uh, during a kind of running, it's very, very hot here, and uh, there are, a lot of runners are going to be out this Saturday morning, <clears throat> and the church is making a, a really special program of handing out cold bottles of water to the runners. So not, it's not a marathon, but just a lot of people will be running um, as they pass between 9 and 11 on the biking trail. And it's a wonderful thing to do. And it's uh, sort of, may we give water to the world. And it's great, but it's implicit. Now, probably no one's going to come to church on the basis of that, uh, of that um, very insincerely intended uh, gratis bottle of water at a very good time. They might have a nice feeling about the label, you know, we represent da-da-da-da church, or we're doing this in the name of our church to give cool water to thirsty multitudes in a hot, hot Saturday. But it's, it's, um, it's, it's implicit. It's not explicit. I'll give you another example, and then I'm done. People are constantly uh, wondering, how are we going to get through to this increasingly secular world? I mean, if you believe what you read and don't believe it all, it's only partly true. You'd feel that America has sort of lost its religion like R.E.M. And they all wanted it to, the people who were commenting on that song years ago. But it, um, uh, there is definitely a more secular mindset, more widely um, more widely dispersed uh, for a variety of reasons, but there is. And uh, so a lot of people, rightly so, how are we going to get through? How are we going to get through? And I'm always uh, want to say, yeah, but j j play your main card, our main card, and it's um, life after death. And it's the possibility of new hope. I mean, everybody's committing suicide right now. You know, it's very easy to commit suicide right now. All you need to get is the right <coughs> fentanyl <coughs> or the right kind of this, that, or the other thing, diet pills, and mix it with something, and this, that, and the other thing. And it's very easy and very inexpensive and quite painless. And you can just, if you're in a really, really bad way and are deeply depressed about something or someone... You can just sit and put the Doobie Brothers on or whatever it is and uh, <laughs> take a little puff, take a spoonful of this in water and, and your heart will stop. So it's real easy, but um, we have a tremendous need. It's a great, great need, but the, the need is best expressed if it's quite direct. 
And that's why the Dickens stories are sort of a, a kind of a Victorian, albeit for sure, showpiece. And that's why I focus on them. They, our message is the uh, raising of the dead and the possibility of a new start in every single situation because of the renewing and rebirthing mercy of God as it is expressed in Jesus Christ. That, that, that is a, a message that is absolutely thrilling. Yes, we have blocks to expressing it, all sorts of things, but that's it. And it's very basic. I'll, last thing, I was <clears throat> having a what's called an echocardiogram this morning. And uh, it's different from an EKG, and it's not as bad as a stent, <laughs> what you have to go through when you're having a stent, which is like surgery, but it's in between. And it's, it's a very imposing uh, test. And it's not even, uh, it's, it's worse than a stress test. But anyway, I've had one before, and I was just struck. And I was thinking as I was having it with a nice technician at the hospital, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a test that is significant. Um, don't worry, I'm sh I, the, the results were good. The results were good. But during it, as I was out there sort of half-naked, uh, appropriately so, hooked up to things and on my side, in a very definite position with right arm and left arm put in a particular arrangement, um, I thought to myself, you know, there is nobody in this world, not a single human being in the world, who, if they are taking, being tested for an echocardiogram in this place, in this situation, with this technology, and the sounds all about me, there's not a single person in this world who, who wouldn't be thinking about mortality who wouldn't be thinking about the basic things. They may be thinking about everything else all the rest of the time, but in this situation, it is inescapable, and I defy anyone to, to uh, unless they're on something, not to be present to the possibility and the contingency and the vulnerability of human existence, especially bodily human existence. It's there. And I say, you know, there's no problem with someone talking to me about God in this situation. So bring yourself into that place. I was reminded, I asked the tech, very nice woman, I, the music was really nice. She was sort of playing solo piano, soft, slow, uh, kind of uh, from... Uh, Sirius XM or something, a track, uh, but it was mostly Carpenter's, a few hymns, it was mostly old Carpenter songs, but really slow and solo piano and really touching. And I said, isn't that mostly the Carpenter's? She did. She said, I love the Carpenter's, but the reason I do it, <clears throat> she said, it's not just the Carpenter's. I put this tape on because people, I stream it because people get very upset during the test. Said said about, about two-thirds of my patients who are taking this test, and we're all people who are over 60, almost all 60, 65, <clears throat> and over. She said almost everyone taking this test get, get, gets often gets very, very anxious. So I turn on the, is the softest, quietest, most soothing and serene music I can possibly find, which is that. Like I'm saying, where can I get this music? I want to listen to this all the time. And uh, I thought that was really special. But um, I, de I defy a human being in a place of stringent stress and... Um, vulnerability and lack of control, and we all have these places, not to wonder, A, what in the world is, is, is life all about? B, what will happen if I die? And what is the meaning of everything I've done? I mean, it all comes to you in one form or another, maybe different words and all different images, but it's absolutely there. And this is the second one I've had, and it's the second one has happened. I like to say, I used to say that I defy anybody to enter the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem and not cry the moment they walk in there, at least if they have anything like a Christian background. And I've never known an exception yet. Well, there it is. EKG, sorry, echocardiogram. Well, that's what I wanted to say. The 
world is desperately needy, and it's needy for the whole loaf. It's not, uh, yes, there are all sorts of half loaves and wonderful elliptical partial versions. But if you want to really get hit in the face with the power of the redemptive love of God to change completely the despair of the human condition, get in touch with the early Christmas stories, not the long ones, the novellas I mentioned at the start, but the short ones, and just, just, uh, you, you, it'll, 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 uh, it'll really, uh, the whole loaf, it's, it's sort of like Sarah Beth Turner's all's granola, it's the best thing going, much love, and here's a little bit of Christmas cheer. Mm-hmm.